Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in cars going to festivals. So we just had this conversation about recreating the cosmos, which <laughs> so this is part two where we're going to talk about gates. Okay, so we talked about recreate, which is here's all these things that we're now going to magically juice up to turn into these gates. Gates, to yeah. the to the other portals world. portals portals <laughs> windows i guess if you're going through a window that sounds painful defenestration that's what gatekeeping really defenestration should, should involve is um, which i suppose my first question then is is for it to be in our rituals do we need to be able to move through these gates, portals, possibly windows. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to, you should open them first, <laughs> is, is really what I'm going to say there. I'm not going to put a value judgment on whether you should or should not, but I am going to say maybe open them first before you go through. Okay. Um, I think that there are lots of different ways to look at opening the gates, much as there are with, you know, recreating the cosmos. But the answer to that question is... I don't think you have to go through them. But Your offerings do. Offerings do. We say offerings go through the gates. But I think that the move through gates is something that we can do in ritual. Um, I think that things that need to be changed should go through gates. Things so that like, are changed or transformed. So like gates in a rite of passage ritual... Mm-hmm. Should be move throughable. I would tend to think so. Um, a rite of passage. Whereas if you, gates and like a blessing rite wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, the blessings are what are moving. The offerings and the blessings are what move. Not necessarily the the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a rite of passage is is different than a blessing. Right. Um, in that rites of passage are often they often involve movement, like even physical movement mm-hmm. from place to place. Um, that's, that is the passing through the liminality, bump stuff, the liminality <laughs> of, um, that you move through. And, and that is what a liminal state is. It's a state you move through, whether that is physically moving or spiritually moving, don't or matter. Both. Or both. Or both. <laughs> Preferably, you know, at least spiritually moving. Um, but cause there has to be some kind of change, yada, yada, but we're not talking about rites of passage. Um, but yes, you could you could easily incorporate the gates 
into this idea of something that you move through. Gates themselves are one of those kind of universal notions mm -hmm. of religion. You move through something. You, you know, at the end of your life, you go through that long tunnel with the light at the end of it, that kind of stuff. Um, as humans, we have those kinds of common experiences, and the gates are one of those things. So one of the things we do in ADF is we call on a gatekeeper who is some sort of spirit ally generally. And there are multiple ways to view that. Traditionally, the gatekeeper was, I'm using very heavy air quotes here, was supposed to be a psychopomp, right? Someone, this is what I was told. I'm just going to throw that out there because it's not the direction that I fall. But a psychopomp of someone who can move souls essentially mm -hmm. um and i think that probably comes out of that those spirits are already like friends of mankind like they're already predisposed to want to be helper spirits yeah right um they do good work for people right <laughs> i um i definitely prefer more gatekeepers who are known for existing in all realms or being able to get to all realms, um, which is, I, I think, a subtle difference from a psychopomp, right? Um, subtle or not so. Or I not mean, so, yeah. but um, it also opens you up to non-male deities, which I greatly prefer. Yes, even <laughs> non-binary deities in the case of Garnus. Um, yes. <laughs> but the other common one are magical deities. Deities who have or keep magic um, are, are pretty common. So you get your Akates, you get your Odin, you get those kinds See, of deities. See, for me, for, for me, Hecate is, I mean, she's the key-holding mistress of the Lancian sky. Like, that's one of her epithets. So yes. she exists in all realms. Yes. But keep in mind, there are many different Akates. I know. But that is the one that I work with. There, there's Hakate, the goddess of flowers, I'm sure. Someone has that, right? Right? Who am I to tell Hakate she can't be the goddess of flowers? That's a, that's a Morrigan joke, actually. But, um, it works for both of them. It works for both of them. Um, but the way that I have always looked at it is I look for deities who are well disposed to me the person who's actually opening the gates i think that's the most important thing it's a it's a friend to humans someone who is willing to do this work um, for whatever reward we can provide or even without in some cases but i think a good ally is the first criteria for me would, would you say that's the case even if that is like far beyond what their quote job description is yeah i would um because i i don't think i believe in li limited deities i think they are all limited but i think they are also terribly competent at things i mean they're they're gods you know they're good at stuff mm -hmm. um they're spirits they're good at stuff they're they could be you know really solidly well-rounded ancestors they're 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 good um I think that it is, for me, personally, it would not be a good idea to use, I don't know, Cerberus. <laughs> As a gatekeeper, I don't trust Cerberus. Cerberus is 
kind of a devourer of souls, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, he stands at that liminal gate. Great. There are ways to get past him, sure, but... Um, That's fascinating to me, because in yeah. Greek rites, I specifically call on Hecate and Kerberos together. Yeah. Someone's got to hold the chain. It's all good. No, you don't <laughs> hold the chain. You, you, if you ever see me offer dog biscuits in a ritual, that is why. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's, that's interesting to me, because I work with them in tandem. Yeah. But by the same token, I wouldn't call on Odin. Odin is, is known by the emphasis of, you know, the terrible, the betrayer. Just not my kind of thing, you know? Loki, not my kind of thing for mm -hmm. a gatekeeper. I don't trust that deity in those ways. But if someone had, like, Odin or Loki as a, as a patron who they worked with all the time, you would say, yeah, go for it. I mean, have I ever stopped you from calling Kerberos? No. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> <laughs> have I ever even brought up no, Until this moment, just no. now, yeah, um, yeah, no. It uh, Ratatosk, another good example. Like, you know, not my kind of gatekeeper. Runs around trading insults. And, you know, but moves through all, all realms. Moves through all realms. Does all you know? Ticks all the boxes there. But for me, not trustworthy. So not my uh -huh. not my kind of deity for that. Um, spirit deity. Whatever. It's a fuzzy line. Fuzzy, very fuzzy line. Um, but I don't think that it was always originally, you know, in the original conception, I don't really think that it was necessarily psychopomp. Um, I know that, for example, in some early ADF rites, they were calling Ganesh as, you know, as the remover of obstacles. Okay. Which is one of his, mm -hmm. uh, one of his names there. Um, so they were calling on him for that, and, I mean, that works. Ganesh I can almost get behind, even though he's, you know, Hindu, not Vedic, and I've got my own concerns about grabbing a Hindu deity and working with him in this context. Um, but that remover of obstacles, that, I think, pretty clear notion of this is a trustworthy sort of god, mm -hmm. all that kind of fits my, it would check some of my boxes there, so... Um, yeah, that's kind of how I pick a, pick a gatekeeper is I look for someone that I would trust. I look for someone who can do these things and I look for someone who is willing to work on my terms. Um, which is partly how we ended up with Garnus the Crane yeah. as well. Um, that was a super non-traditional choice and we took a lot of flack for using the nature spirit, um, in that role. And it's okay, they're definitely a god now. <laughs> I I referred to Garnus <laughs> several times early on when this question came up. I'm like, yeah, not really a nature spirit, more of an heroic nature spirit. Because I'm thinking, you know, those... Uh, Someone who's gone through apotheosis? Yes, the, those, those borders are already permeable. We know that. We, I mean... Heracles. Mm -hmm. That is an ancestor cult. He is a god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have historical precedent. We can we can work with that. And so yeah, that's. Um, but that's how we ended up with with Garanus, and that's how we're still doing it wrong. <laughs> so I've seen lots of different ways of doing it. How do you? work with a gatekeeper 
in the process of opening the gates. So the Garnus meditation that we do mm -hmm. um, is a, a thing that I pulled together. I mean, we didn't used to do in ADF, we didn't used to do meditations around gatekeepers. That was a super rare thing if anyone did it at all. I don't know of anyone who did it. Um, but I started doing it because I had to explain to people what the heck we were doing mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and why a crane was appropriate. Um, and I'm talking local folks. I'm not talking ADF National or anything like that. Um, but because uh, at the time it was ADF National, now it's ADF International. But um, the the process was, all right, how can I how can I explain to these people who've just shown up off the street what the heck I'm doing? And so we built that meditation and to kind of explain it, to fill out that cosmic picture a little bit more, if you will, um, and let people see kind of beyond what our eyes can see. Um, and so that's part of it is I try and explain the gatekeeper and show why I chose this spirit to be the gatekeeper. Because um, that, again, gets everyone on the same page. They know where we are. Um, and then we make offerings. I mean, you see us at our anniversary, right? Making offerings of shrimp and <laughs> fish and all sorts of things that herons and cranes and things would, would enjoy eating. Um, and I think that the offering is often an important part of it uh, because it gives you that reciprocity connection. That notion that, yes, we are prepared to do the work, we're going to do the work, um, and this is who we're going to work with, and would you please come help us? You know, mm -hmm. um, I think that's a key. Um, we don't always make offering to the gatekeeper. Sometimes we will skip that. It's not real common. Uh, or maybe sometimes people forget in our rituals. I think it's that more forget be because I cannot think of a single time when we have not wanted to make an offering there. So. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to think of outliers as well. Which I guess is one more point in the column of work with a gatekeeper who you already know because you already have the yes. relationship to make that offering you forgot later. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so typically we do our portal song and then we do our gatekeeper offering and then we do the gates. Mm -hmm. And For us, a lot of the times, we are restating that cosmos, and I think that's good to do anyway, because once you've recreated it, calling back to it, that's a that's a good fashionable religious plan anyway. Do you, callbacks. so out of curiosity, do you do that more because you and I tend to flip our attunement and recreate? Because yeah. like you typically go recreate attunement gates, and I typically go attunement recreate gates. Yeah. So you're well, like when when you restate, it's not immediately following what you've just done, kind that, of thing. I mean, that's probably an effect. I don't know that that's a conscious reason for it. Okay. But it's probably an effect. I do a lot of, I try to do a lot of callbacks, 
mm -hmm. in my liturgical language. So I try and come back to previous points to provide that consistency. Um, and, you know, just to keep threading the narrative through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want people to get lost. The whole point of the gatekeepers is that nobody gets lost, right? <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm trying to to pull people back into that. And I, once we've done something that's out of character, so we, we've recreated the cosmos, we've built up all this energy, we attune. Gatekeeper, build up the energy again by calling back to that previous energy. So, because if you do the attunement first, you can kind of ramp into it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you do that attunement second, you've, you've got you to remind people where yeah. they were and what they were doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, I like to center it as the attunement is the center of yourself. The recreate is the center of the cosmos. And then you apply the attunement to it. So, like, you find yourself and then yourself in the cosmos. And then you open the gates to let everybody, like, all the people, all the spirits, kind of all mingle in this happy little cosmic picture you've painted yeah <laughs> so you've got your so so you're doing macrocosm microcosm right mm. am i doing it the other, other way around microcosm, i'm doing it the other microcosm. way around yeah um yeah i mean you got to do both at the end of the day yeah um you don't have to but it makes good religious sense to mirror the microcosm and the macrocosm or the other way around because, again, it helps orient people. It helps set them in the right direction so they know where they're going. Yeah. Now, when I do the magical work of opening the gates, I, um, I describe it as a, like a corkscrew spiral mm -hmm. with my hands. Or if I rarely use a tool when I'm opening the gates. I mostly just use my hands. Um, part of that is because... If I'm using my sickle, I'm often using it to consecrate something, such yep. as the waters. Um, although it it could very well make sense to use it to like cut open a doorway, kind of kind of thing. But, anyways, so I typically do it with just my hands, um, and the way that a spiral, as it crosses your vision, it would appear to flip directions, like the way your hand spirals. Um, so. I keep my hand moving the same way. So, so for those who can't see at home, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> if you hold your hand below the plane of your eyes and you spin it clockwise, and then you lift it up and you look up at it, it appears to be spinning the different direction, even though your hand is moving the same direction. Yeah. So that's what I do when I open the gates, um, and you see it most often when I'm opening the fire as a gate because that's literally going from like the, the ground where the fire is up to the sky where the sun is um, and so you'll see it move but I do a spiral moving clockwise to open the gates and a spiral moving counterclockwise to close the gates um, but you do something very different with your hands that's not that no it's not <laughs> um, so I make a triquetro with my hands and that's the like weird triangle loopy thing. That is one way to describe it. Yes, <laughs> it's like three interlocking circles that form a triangle. Yes, um, and I got this from Six Night. 
I've done it like that since the whole time that I've been ADF, pretty much. And um, it is it is difficult to describe which way I do it because it does change. What does not change is that I do it in the opposite direction. Uh, For opening and closing. Yep. So, and sometimes I start on my left side, sometimes I start on my right side, sometimes I start at the top and work my way down, but most every time, and, and I don't have to think about it anymore, I know what I, my body knows what I mm -hmm. did the first time, and so I just do it the opposite way when I'm closing the gates at the end. Um, but the key thing that I think is most important is it doesn't necessarily matter what hand motion you use what matters is that you are consistent with it and that it makes sense to you well and i i mean i also don't think you need to use a hand motion oh no you don't um, it's good theater though it is good but like <laughs> if if someone is solitary right and yeah. they don't need to theater to anyone except themselves and hand motions are not useful to them in particular like yeah i mean but i would also argue that you know, if they are by themselves and speaking out loud isn't something that they find useful, it is still a useful thing to do because the forming of words, and in this case, the forming of actions, mm -hmm. puts something concrete out there to go with your thought, with your, with yeah. whatever's going on in your head, it makes it physical and makes it real. And as we have talked about in terms of the, uh, the, the qualities of um, the, the qualities of voicing something or of, of making offerings that are physical um, it shows a value in the physical world I think that manifesting your words manifesting your actions shows that this realm has value um, doing it all in your head is fine and good um, but I think that sometimes it discounts the value of the world we live in, too. So, that's so, off topic. <laughs> I, I was thinking about what we may each visualize when we do that. So, I like the reason I, I like doing that like clockwise spiral is to me it feel, feels almost like stirring a cauldron mm -hmm. of like the nebulous pagan energies, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. but stirring that cauldron. And then it's when you feel that it's like reach kind of a boil over point, you stretch it and make the connection to the otherworldly fire or the otherworldly well mm -hmm. or whatever. So you're connecting the physical item that you've hallowed, right? To the otherworldly item. And you're stretching that like boiled over energy between them. And then when they touch and connect, it, I'm trying to explain like, this is really weird. So, <laughs> when they touch and connect, it's like they, like they flash for a moment. And then as they dissipate, like the, it, it it's like, it's like not You're having honey on your hands and yeah, so yeah. like you're stretching it vertically, like yeah. like bubble gum. Yeah. Right? Okay, so you're stretching it. But then when it does connect, it turns into like a straight line, like a like a spider web in sunlight. 
mm -hmm. right? Like just a single line. And then it like, as it dissipates is when that's the gate opening visual I get is like a dissipation into, I want to say glitter, but like glitter is too thick. It's much finer, like a mist almost. Gossamer. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here, here's a fun challenge for you. You should sit down and you should turn that into a guided visualization. I should try that. You should you're, try you're that. Right. See how it goes. <laughs> you're right. I should. Um, because, I mean, in a lot of ways, and I say this a lot, we, the, the whole point of this was to talk about managing the magical. Um, how you do this. One of the things that I tell everybody who's doing the gates for the first time is it doesn't matter so much what you do. It doesn't matter so much um, what you say. What matters is that you can experience the gate opening. Because if you can't experience the gate opening, no one else in the circle is going to experience it either. And when you're doing public ritual, if, you, if you're standing up there and you're making motions, it doesn't matter what those motions are, if you're not feeling it internally, if you're not feeling the magic work, no one outside of you is going to either. And I'm a big fake it if you make it sort of guy. I think that you can really fake a lot of things and get by with it in ritual. But I think with the gate opening in particular, I think that's one where the visualization that you have in your head and the feeling of the gates opening is really key to making everybody else in the space feel it. Have you it. been to a ritual where you feel like the gates didn't open? And like, how did you manage that as a participant? I have not. Okay. So it's, it's not in reaction to anything. Um, I'm just thinking like, what does it feel like if they don't open? What does it feel like if they do? Like, how do you... How, how do, do you, you know? Yeah. It's a religious experience. You know it when you know it, and you don't know it if you don't know it. And unfortunately, there's not much more guidance that I can get there. <laughs> um, and and I'm, I'm also, I will also say that it's a religious experience. It's something that you can't always get right. Um, I think that there are ways to do it correctly more often than not. And that's why I say, you know, you need to be in a headspace. You need to be in the kind of position to experience it. And you need to experience it when you're doing the work. Um, and that is what I think gives you the success rate at it. How do you visual, like, how do you visualize it when you're making the Triketra. Tri tri <laughs> uh, it is, for me, it's a, it's a sigil. It's a magic sigil that I'm doing. And as I've been talking to you about this, I've been thinking, you know, it would be interesting to try different sigils. What if I had a different sigil for each of the high days? What would that look like? So maybe I'll vary it up. Maybe I'll kick it around. Um, but it's not a consistent vision. Um, is it very, like... Full Metal Alchemist, create the sigil, put your, like, uh, is it very Tears of the Kingdom? 
<laughs> Sorry, I had to find find a, a fandom that you would connect to. Is it very like Zelda I've, Tears of the I've Kingdom? I've seen a little bit of Full Metal Alchemist. Okay, where you you make the sigil and you touch it and it opens. Is no. it is it like a key? No. Um, it is. Is it like Monsters Inc.? Like the sigil calls the correct door. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Someone's gonna run with that, but. But no. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like it, but no. Um, no, for me, it's really... Um, I think it's mostly informed by, by fantasy role-playing and things like that. It's that notion of drawing the sigil in the air and it's flamey or watery or whatever it might be. And... You, it's your somatic component. You know that it's magical. It's your somatic component. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know that it's magical because it, it appears magical. It's a good special effect in your brain. Now I have a, a really like D&D-centered question for you. Okay. We've talked about how important it is to verbalize something. Yeah. So that's your verbal component. We've talked about your hands are important to make the sigils or whatever, do yeah. the motions. That's your somatic component. What's your material component? Offerings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's your offering, right? Gets consumed, taken out of human use. Okay, okay. Yeah. If you have an arcane focus... <laughs> Keep you... in mind, I'm second edition. Oh, that's right. I don't know anything after second your edition. Your component power. I'm an advanced Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> player, thank you very much. <laughs> I know Thacko. <laughs> Okay, D&D &D right in the future. It's going to go both beautifully and horribly, and it'll be a delight. We'll call Critical Role and get on their podcast. Dude, sure. But, yeah, so that's that's my basic steps on on gates and all of that, and my, my basic advice for managing the magical. Now, it is, it is difficult for us to talk about gates and gatekeepers without talking about... Um, the the way that that has come into ADF and there are a variety of different strains of how that actually came to be and I'm not sure which ones are correct and which ones are not I just don't know um, but uh, when we talk about gatekeepers there's the obvious parallel that most people point to which is uh, Yoruba traditions Mm -hmm. African uh, diaspora traditions, voodoo, Kanemble, all those, um, Santeria. And I think that it is worth noting that I struggle with some of that a lot, that, I, that notion of cultural appropriation. Um, we've talked to a lot of people about it uh, within ADF and, and outside of ADF, and most people of an African diaspora tradition that I've spoken to don't recognize our gate opening as an African diaspora tradition. It doesn't look anything like it, frankly. Um, but that said, I mean, Isaac was very clear. Yeah, we lifted that pretty directly. Um, and how everyone manages that or doesn't manage it is kind of up to them, I tend to think. Uh, but I think recognizing it, naming it, and saying, yeah, there's discomfort around this is, is worth doing for me. Um, I don't know that 
I don't know that I even have a formalized opinion on it, and that in itself is kind of privileged in its nature, is just to not have an opinion. Um, but I still work on it. I still work through it mm-hmm. reasonably often. And so it's not like... I don't feel like I've checked a box on it and said, nope, it doesn't look like that. It, it, it can't be that. It's still... It's still Do you think that... Every time I look at it, I look at it again. I'm not even going to approach this as a, like, broader ADF organization, but as a local community, a local grove. Um, Do you think we owe reparations of any sort to any local um, African diaspora religions in the area? Or do you think that thought process in its in and of itself is centering our experience and like like I don't even I'm with you like I don't there's discomfort but I'm not sure how to approach it yeah and I mean I've approached it ADF's approached it we've had conversations around it and I think we're going to continue to have conversations around it for some time um, and I don't know. I don't know if there is a good answer. Um, as far as reparations, I don't even know what they look like. Yeah, I don't. Um, and, and part of the problem is that I don't want to. I don't want to come up with a solution and then move on either. Right. Because that in itself is problematic to me. I, I don't want to say, oh, you know, we we've solved the problem. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We we can keep doing this tradition or we can stop doing this tradition and then stop talking about it too and there are sometimes things that are we that we are uncomfortable with in our traditions and facing them and talking about them and trying to understand them and grappling with them i think is the important work of it not the all right how do we sweep this under the how rug do we solve as it? fast as we can how do we solve it yeah, yeah. and that's that's the thing that around gatekeepers and, and and gates and things like that that I'm most interested in when it comes to that. It's not even an elephant in the room. We all know it's there. We yeah. all we even talk about it. Um, so it's not like we're trying to avoid it, but we don't have a good way to solve it. And we can't just ask one person how we solve it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's. That's our that's our biggest problem is is we have a lot of individual opinions but we don't have a larger opinion there's no way to get a larger opinion and so we just need to sit with it more often mm-hmm. and work our way through it and make sure that when we bring it up on a podcast that we talk about that discomfort especially a, a specific one on this yeah like yeah this. so yeah even with that discomfort and knowing that um, like it does not fall within our, like, I'll say rigid, but it's very fuzzy anyways, Indo-European, right? Like, it... it I mean, I can find examples here and there of I know. things that look like it. But, and... but what I'm saying is, is that because I have become... I, I've built those relationships. Yeah. And those relationships with spirits that I work with as what we call a gatekeeper are real and valid... Right. And so like at this point, I wouldn't stop those relationships. Yeah. You know, and so it's this weird like 
I'm not going to stop honoring the spirits who have called to me and who I've built friendships with and relationships with, but also... Yeah. And, I mean, some of our early members were also initiates in Vudun, and then there's that whole question of, did they have the right to bring this stuff in? Should they have brought this stuff in? Could, could we even tell them not to? Right, I don't right. know. Um, yeah, I, the things that we are doing, whether they got their start in African diaspora religions, whether they were taken wholesale, whether they have changed, whether they never looked much like it, and frankly, they don't look that much different today than they used to. Um, it, it just, it complicates the matter mm -hmm. all around. And so we're not going to solve it on a podcast, but... Um, I, I think it's important for us to, to let people know that we, we know what the controversy we is. No, we know. <laughs> we know the controversy. We teach the controversy. And um, <laughs> we talk about it. But, but we do. I mean, it's, it's something that's always in the back of our minds as priests. And it's always something that we're trying to, trying to work through and understand and figure out how to manage. Um, do you think someone who is just starting working with, um, like, they're getting ready to do their first public ritual gate opening. Mm -hmm. um, is that high on the list for them to grapple with as well, do you think? I think that they should be prepared to answer questions about it. Um, any new grove should be prepared to, to respond in some way. Um, just because, I mean, there's social media out there. You look up ADF, you're going to find something on this whole gatekeeper anyway, it's not a controversy just this this whole issue that we have and so knowing how to respond to it I think is an important thing um, and just like for us we don't have answers there's not a right way or a wrong way to answer it but what I can tell you and what I know for sure is that it's not going to be our generation of priests who solve the problem it's going to be the next generation mm -hmm. um, either because we're not smart enough, which is entirely possible, uh, or because these are our traditions, this is how we've done it, and we may just need... Somebody new to shift them. Exactly. We, we may need enough, a critical mass of new priests who say, hmm, no, we can do this differently to do it. And if we find a way that works, I'm in full support mm -hmm. of figuring something else out because... You know, it's something that we, it, it's a problem we don't have to pass on. Right. Um, we should, we should be able to eventually find a way to solve it. And I think one of the key things is trying to find ways to bring in more diverse voices. And that may be the reparation that we need to make is we just need to find ways to get more diverse voices into our priesthood and into our organization as a whole and we need to do it intentionally mm -hmm. so i think that's that's what i got on that <laughs> thanks for listening and there's more to come we welcome your ideas and questions if there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org if you'd like to donate you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. 
Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about Druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.